Instances of laughter do not occur in accidental locations, but are clearly connected to specific activities. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast hosted by myself, Canadian Akinoma Bitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers, and we squeeze them for their best bits so that you, the lovely listeners, don't need to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan? Hey, Hey, I'm feeling really good, man. I'm feeling really good. Yourself? I like how we're going to talk about laughter today. That's yeah, one well, of the things that seems we know, or at least wish we knew, a lot about. <laughs> it's one of those things which, uh, considering my profession, I should know a lot more yeah. about yeah. than I do. Uh, but regular stage performances suggest I still have a lot to learn. It's also going to get a bit. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe the science can help you. Help <laughs> I'm going to apply science to. Uh, this is the fascinating <laughs> thing about humor, actually. So, like, listeners, we are going to be talking a lot about humor and laughter specifically, and there is a bit of a difference between the two. What's fascinating is it's still a bit of like an uncharted, not even uncharted. It's, it seems to be a science that people still can't crack. Like there's nothing formulaic about it. Absolutely. Like like babies laugh and they don't even understand what I'm saying half of the time, but they, <laughs> they, they cry also. I'm not sure why I've gone into the baby chat. Dan, save me from this as yes, we, yes, let's, let's get into this title and the authors, well, shall let's we? Let's just have a little bit of fun <laughs> with these names because Helena, um, let's see, Kangasharju, Kangasharju, and um, Tuai Nikko, and they're at the Helsinki School of Economics, and they wrote this paper in a journal that I know a lot less about, but it is the Journal of Business Communications, and it's all about joint laughter in workplace meetings. And when you first read that, Akin, did you think maybe it was about marijuana? Like, <laughs> I I had a little bit like giggles from a little bit of dope, that kind of joint laughter. You, you, you know what, right? Every time there are meetings and I'm always like um, a bit, uh, I'm very aggressive in terms of like uh, snacks being provided. I need the croissants and I need the, the biscuits. And that's because I've been, I've been puffing. I've been puffing on the, <laughs> I've been you're, puffing you're the, the joints before. It's the only way that, that these meetings can be survived. Is if you go into oh them God. with a bit of a haze. Did you notice one of the meetings was six hours? Oh my God. I was, I was like saving that bit of commentary as well. It's like, <laughs> like six hours, man. That's like, you're now kind of like heading into like the, the Lord of the Rings uh, territory yeah. there. You're probably like about like halfway through the trilogy at that point, And someone's I mean, still talking about profit. And to be thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're, what we're going to hope to do, uh, what we're going to hope to do in this one, so we're going to cover this paper, emotions in organizations, joint laughter, not that kind of joint, joint laughter in workplace meetings. And there's four big takeaways, which we believe have the potential to very much help not only meetings, but I feel like there's a lot of potential here to, to add a lot of life to work. There was a really interesting line in this paper where they talked about emotions not really being prevalent in the workplace in terms of how it was studied, should I say. So there seemed to be this disregard for the idea that people actually come to work in emotional states and requiring some sort of like emotional connectivity while they're there as well, Dan. I'm not sure if you had any thoughts on, on that element of it. 
I think it's an incredible phenomenon. I definitely have noticed this in my own life. So the two things I'd say something about are number one, why emotions seem to be illegal in organizational studies. And number two is why they seem to be kind of peering in now. They're raising their heads sort of against all odds now. And I think both of those are kind of worth. But the number one is um, I think that there's a sort of penis envy that psychology has um, compared to physics. Ooh, tell me more about that. You have, you have my ears down. I heard penis and I was like, I really want to see where this is going and if well, I want to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I think, genuinely. We psychologists wish that we had sort of more science-y science, like cause mm. and effect. And you pull this lever and then that bell rings and there's a shit called gravity. And if you have these laws, then there's like dynamics at play that you can make predictions. And it's all very like linear. And I think that we wish we had that, but instead we're called the soft science, you know, because it's really, really hard to find any formulas in our area where you just kind of plug in the variables and out pops the answer. And I think that emotions, because they're ir like they're irrational. Like that's what emotions are. They're irrational. What, what emotions aren't are rational. And so I think that like we've strayed far away from it. And like, if you think about like Skinner, you, you looked at like stimulus response. And if I do this, then it's really science. I wear this lab coat. Look, it's white. You know, it's like, it's all this play acting because we're just embarrassed that we don't have real theories. <laughs> like what I find great about it though, on the, the social sciences is I kind of feel like it keeps you all in business. Like the fact that the fact that individuals like myself are an emotional wreck. That's like, isn't that part of like, even like kind of like shrinks. That's what kind of keeps them in business. Like we're going to get you, you on this kind back. of like intro plan, which is oh, just this soft this problem. Oh, no, no, no. You have these four problems. <laughs> Let's talk about your past. <laughs> Precisely. So it like, it feels like there's just always going to be more work to do. And also yeah. with that as well, because I want to kind of like link this into like how work has changed. This is like, because gravity, as far as I'm aware, this is like very much like a constant state but the way that we work has changed. So even if there were solid theories for how we worked, let's say even 20 years ago, you couldn't really just copy and paste those same theories into how we That's work it. today. Even regarding yep. humor, like the, the fact that we're, we're now open to this idea that, hey, it's possible for people to have a job that they might actually enjoy. And it doesn't need to be exclusive just for the dude who's on the top floor with like the, the corner view that overlooks the city, which he now believes to be his domain. But the idea that someone who's actually on like the ground floor can actually have a job where they feel a sense of meaning and purpose. We covered some of this in the, uh, the moon landing episode. This idea of the janitor feeling like I ain't just sweeping the, the yeah. corridors here. Yeah. Like I'm putting a man on the moon and yeah. you know, he might've maybe uh, overestimated his value. In and, that um, mission. Do you remember the funny firemen, <laughs> the fire, the firefighters? And that was <laughs> one of the early ones there. To deal with like the brains off the yeah. ambulance. <laughs> And that's, that's another great point as well, because these, these things, they do vary from industry to industry. So you, you look at like firemen, for example, their, their work might be rich with humor. And I believe this is why they kept this study specific to workplace meetings, because there's a lot of industries where 
I imagine if you if you go to a lot of restaurants, they're probably having quite a good time in the kitchen. I imagine the chefs are like, there's a lot of camaraderie there. They're staring each other eye to eye a lot. You 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 see the the actual efforts of what everyone does. Whereas in modern work now, a lot of things are done in secret. People have got like Facebook tabs open. Uh, they're also applying for like their next job at the same time. Uh, they're probably also got like a group chat going. So like the actual way that people work can be done in private when it comes to a lot of like uh, modern desk-based work. But then the the fruits of our labor is what we present. It's what we come to these meetings with, with look, here is what I have really been doing this whole time. And then you kind of look at four sheets of a paper and you're like, did this really take you eight weeks like, is this, is this, yeah. and you've just come yeah, with I more really questions. <laughs> yeah. Nothing has yeah, been solved. So, um, but yeah, so like quite a lot seems to have changed in terms of the way we work, which I, de- I guess that just then lends to this idea of it's hard to really put a hard science down to something yeah. that is yeah. very mercurial. That's right. I also think it's worth throwing in that that's partly why emotions are so relevant in the workplace now, I think more than ever, is has to do with the speed of change and how employees are supposed to be creative and proactive now to keep up with it. Whereas not very long ago, they were kind of supposed to do what they were told. And so the more you could make them like a machine and less like a human, the more reliable and predictable things were. And so that controlled setting was something that like the manager of yesteryear longed for. But for better or for worse, what the manager of today longs for is like somebody that cares enough to try something new and have a good idea. And unfortunately, those are linked to positive emotions of like enthusiasm, of like creativity is directly linked to being happy. And if you don't feel much joy, and you're feeling a lot of fear, you're not going to be creative or willing to try new things. And that's a lot of responsibility for like a manager. Like if I turn up at like, you know, 9am, it really should not be someone else's responsibility to ensure my happiness. Like even in relationships, I'm like, look, love, (laughs) there's a few things that you need to know about me. (laughs) I am irresponsible. And, and I'm I def- like it. <laughs> I'm irresponsible for my own life. So <laughs> do not yeah. rely on me yeah. for your happiness. So the idea yeah. that I would then go into a workplace and now this idea of management and leadership is, it's kind of like a support role, like an, um, yeah. an emotional support, as well as individuals being able to acquire the skills required to effectively, yeah. uh, I guess, like complete the tasks that they are given. Yeah. There seems to be a bit of a pastoral slash um it reminds me of like the um in the uh, the u.s uh, colleges with like fraternities and you're yep. kind of like you're guiding people through uh, yep. a, i guess a journey in their life and this is this is like a shepherd like situation and i'm going to tie this back in with humor but it seems that humor and this idea of like joint laughter seems to play a significant role in the tying together of people. And so uh, let's, let's have a little bit of a chat of like about what they did and what they were trying to find. Uh, so yep. this was like, and you can like uh, uh, help me out here, Dan. So from what I understand is this was them reviewing what I believe to be like archival data. So they, they managed to acquire this footage uh, of about like 35 plus hours 
yeah. of this, like, I think it was a Swedish, uh, Finnish, uh, merged organization. And they were re- reviewing the video footage to look for instances in which joint laughter was achieved that they might find some sort of clues as to when it's best suited and how it can help in joint meetings as well. That seems really good. I mean, everything you just said is right. And the only thing that I would add on top is like how humor, as you said at the beginning, is so very hard to explain and to discern, especially cross-culturally. So, you know, here we are, you know, I'm from the U.S., been here about 11 years You've lived here in London for, are you willing to admit your age? Uh, oh, even if I tell them the number, they still couldn't guess the age. Uh, but I've, <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in London 30 plus years. This is a long time. I need to get out of this city, man. For us to be able to judge humor in a Finnish-Swedish merged corporation context is a very hard thing to do. But what I love about this study, there's some problems with it, of course. But one of the things I loved about it is they started with laughter that was shared because that's observable. And so when you have a bunch of people laughing together, then you can backpedal into, okay, well, what's going on there? What kinds of things? And I actually love the deconstruction of the seconds before the laughter where they literally are showing us. And now we're going to kind of let the the listeners and the viewers hear firsthand. The actual words don't seem to be that funny. And I think that there's something really interesting about using humor and using laughter to get stuff done in ways that would be very hard to explain to people. Totally. And so, uh, so listeners as well, there's going to be four key points, which Dan and I are going to have a bit of like a, a dance with regarding the, the uses of humor, uh, how it can kind of like serve organizations. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of like lay out the four main functions, Good. which they were able to observe. And what we'll do is we'll have like a bit of a play in terms of how it was they came to realize this and what it's telling us in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, how we how we interact as as individuals in the workplace. So these four places were humor being used to relax the working climate, essentially. So this idea of easing tension and also breaking down the walls that hierarchies can create. And this kind of dips back to Dan's earlier point about when you want people to be creative and you want them to work to their best, it's ideal that they're not going into situations tense and stressed. So this idea of humor being able to reduce tension and stress is fantastic. The other point of it as well is that humor is great for, for wrapping up points. You make a point, you, uh, you're able to, you, what you want to do is you want to transition from one point to another. And if you can kind of like land a, uh, a final joke on that point, it acts as a, an excellent natural segue. And they don't explicitly say this in the, uh, in the paper, but what humor does is when you're transitioning from one point to another, if you can get there with laughter, you're bringing people into a more elated state when you now bring in another point. And kind of like in these blockbuster movies where you kind of need something to explode, you even need something to explode or you need someone to get like thrown through a window or maybe some, someone shows a bit too much flesh on screen and it just keeps the viewers engaged that bit longer. Humor, once again, has this potential as well. There's something about the surprise factor of it that just really kind of like wakes people up. Um, humor is also great for, uh, oh, one second. Uh, so this idea of like actually uh, diminishing tensions and, yeah. uh, and how do I put this as well? 
Uh, I'm kind of well, like they, they talked about in a challenging situation, like in this particular one, he's kind of trying to give people a pretty high hurdle in terms of when to get the, the big project done. And so using humor to make it less tense seemed to be the goal there. Yes. And there's a fantastic point on that as well, which we'll, we'll double back to in a second, because there's, uh, there's an excellent tip there in terms of how humor relates to when it's the boss uh, kind of like delivering material, you could say, versus when the colleagues are kind of like bouncing ideas off of one another. Uh, and then the final point as well, in terms of the the value of humor was accomplishing remedial work. And this is kind of like you have situations where uh, the problem requires solving really, and you want to do so in a way where none of the, the team members or especially the boss loses face. So that, that was like kind of like a, a scrubby version of like the, uh, the four points there. Uh, so should we chuck it back to the top then? Yeah. And what I liked about that, Akin, is if I was a listener anyway, to kind of know those are the functions of humor in these meetings. I think that's really helpful just to remember that there is a function to it. And while it may be fun, it's not just fun. I think that's actually really cool. And it's also confusing to me. I'm going to go ahead and say that as a researcher, the paper was not clear enough for me as to why these four popped out. I'm glad that these four popped out. And I like very much how they give a very clear example of each one. But what they didn't really show is like how many times they observed that and how frequently humor was used for each of these four. It's almost like what they did is they grabbed a bunch of interviews that have had, you know, a bunch of meetings that had happened and then just said, here's some of the kind of ways that we've seen it being useful. Uh, and so it's not the kind of science that I'm used to. You know, maybe now I'm sort of having the same kind of problem where I'm looking for a little more clinical numbers kind of stuff here. But I was looking for like, what percentage of the laughter was around those four? And what percentage of laughter did you not categorize? Because it was just for fun and games, you know what I mean? So, but anyway, we'll let them off the hook for that because maybe it just wasn't the point of the paper. Totally. And just to to kind of jump on the back of that as well, at the top of this paper, they did explicitly mention how this is this isn't a theme that's really been kind of taken apart yet. So it sounds like they're one of the, the early ones. They're kind of like the pioneers in terms of how do we begin to look at emotions? So this is mostly about emotions and they've narrowed it on humor and laughter, excuse yeah. me. <clears throat> and so I, I was reading it of the, the understanding and the belief that there's so much to cover in this regard Whereas what they wanted to do was to start getting the ball rolling in terms of where are the values. I kind of felt it like they wanted to kind of get the torch flamed so yes. that they could hand yes. it on to further researchers to say, look, here's the foundation that we've started to lay. Who would like to now start building on this yeah. so that we can get better information into the, the function and value of humor in the workplace? Yeah. And with that first one, the one about um, sort of opening the meeting and kind of, I love, I love how it said that the, there's lightning atmosphere in this sort of opening phase. They can say it's creating a fellow feeling, a fellow feeling. That's such a funny phrase from my lens. <laughs> But I guess it's um it's probably something to do with like in Helsinki like it probably has a more yep a different meaning there in a way yeah but here's thought, what I liked about it can I say this actually oh yeah go for I, it, gen- I genuinely like this bit where 
a lot of times creating this feeling of togetherness, it doesn't work if a leader tries to do it directly, like saying, we're like a big family. It sounds like naive and maybe a little manipulative, like you're just, but then if instead of saying that, you like have a party together or you like start laughing together, it's not like you talk about it. It's like you're being it. And I actually think there's something vital in that. Totally. It's, it's, there's something very, the, the thing I really value about laughter is the, the loss of control. Yes. So there, yeah. there's something about uh, a collective of individuals losing control together. So what you can say at the beginning of an inter, uh, at the beginning of a meeting is, "Oh, we're one big happy family, and we're all excited to be here, and we're looking forward to the the third quarter, so that we can." And then every some people are just yes. thinking, "I ain't excited to be here." Yes. I don't even like half the people in this room. And honestly, yeah. I'd probably take a pay cut to be at a company where I felt like I was experiencing more purpose. So like you can say something, it doesn't make it true. Yeah, that's right. Great that's thing like about humor. People, I'm funny. Yeah, ex- precisely. There's a difference between telling people I'm funny and making someone laugh. That's and it. the great thing about humor here is that once you make people laugh, they they've relinquished they've relinquished all opinion because now it's just the action is speaking for itself and there's a there's a lot of pressure like uh with comedy there's this importance of your your opening line when you hit that stage what you want to have is a solid opening joke that establishes you as an individual and also begins to set the tone of what your comedy is like this is way too much responsibility in a work setting it's far too much however what is possible is to you can still put yourself forward in a humorous way which is not laugh at me but more like i'm going to exhibit a a humorous kind of like mentality that is jovial yeah there's something about that you don't need to you don't need the room and i'm talking about work meetings here in stand-up comedy you really do want like people to literally be like friggin' laughing out loud. But when it comes to a work meeting, there's a tone that you can set, which just eases individuals' tensions. And again, it does not need to be the funniest joke, but what it does, it has to be able to say, like we're communicating together yeah. on a human yeah. level and in that's a way it. that lets you know that humor is acceptable. I think that's just right, Akin. And the reason I like you saying it that way is it's not like this paper or Akin and I are trying to say, hey, listener, Here's what to say to start your meeting. But what we can talk is about the idea of creating a laughable. And it's these sequences that you can initiate where you, by producing like a pause at a strategic time that encourages other people to kind of build on it rather than being like authoritarian and just getting through your slides, as they say, but to sort of leaving space where somebody could throw something in. Like in the first example here, which I actually thought was kind of funny, they were talking about how they were recording the meeting for basically for the study. And they said, it's kind of going to be sent live on internet all around the world. And it's going to be kind of like one of these, it's a new trend where like instead of like living together in a flat, we're going to be having this meeting. And then somebody kind of, they left space for somebody to say expected audience zero. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then that caused a bit of joint laughter. 
And then somebody else said, of course, somebody in our competing company might be forced to look at it. And then that caused, <laughs> so, and by opening it, just the way you said it, and by sort of opening it and allowing the space and producing a laughable by creating a tone that well, that would be okay to pile on, then people start piling on and it gets fun. And that is, that's exactly what you're looking for as a leader, isn't it? Totally. And this is a measure as well. Like if you are listening to this and you do lead teams, this isn't like the, uh, this isn't like persecution. This isn't an inquisition. This isn't like a, you know, funniest person in the office kind of situation. And you don't even need to be the funny person. But one thing to reflect on is during meetings, do reflect on it. Is humor present? Is humor present? Because the, the lack and the absence could be telling you a lot more. Uh, me personally, when I'm, you know, I'm out in like bars, um, like hanging with friends, got people over and dinners and whatnot. We trying to laugh at something yeah. like we, we're trying to find something to like, you know, to share, to laugh at. And so this idea of uh, humor being absence, laughter being absent is something I found very interesting as well. And it kind of pushed me away from some organizations that I'd worked in in the past where the, the, the sound of laughter was either stifled. Yeah. Because it was definitely was not encouraged, or yeah. it was sometimes like openly challenged. What is going on over there? Because la laughter does not sound like work. Like the, you, people yeah. are definitely is it, the idea is that people are definitely not working. Yes. If they must laughing. not be working because they're laughing. Because nothing is funny about work. So I've seen the, yeah. I've seen the assignments yeah. that I've given those two individuals. So <laughs> the fact that they're laughing suggests they are not doing <laughs> what I told them to do. Messing it up. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're screwing it up heavily yeah. or just simply not doing it at all. Um, yeah. And like, we'll blend into like the second point as well, because this kind of like ties in quite well. And again, we're keeping this in terms of meetings. And if you're coming towards the end of your section, uh, it's probably important to know that in a lot of meetings that I've attended, not everything that you wish to share needs to be shared. Like, trust me, peeps, like if you've given any presentations before, if you've had the chair at any meetings, you've never listened to everything everyone else has said. So please don't believe that everyone is listening to everything that you're saying. For the love of God, if you get a good laugh and you're towards the end of your section, tap out. Just leave right. it on a high. I've learned this the hard way on stage several times where I've been near the end of my set and I've got a massive laugh and that rush has gone straight to my head and I've pushed it just too far. Yeah, and then yeah. maybe the next joke, the laughter's a bit diminished and it's probably a bit of like, you know, um, we like you buddy, but and we're going to give you a pass on that. Now. Yeah. But yeah, and then it's a bit like, well, I can't leave on that note. So then you try again and then it's just <laughs> silence that you're faced with. So, so there's, there's this idea here. This is like the second function is its ability to close down a topic or a phase. So when you're towards the end, if you get even so much of a decent laugh and they, they specifically talk about laughing here. So I'm going to keep it to that, especially, but if you are kind of like a bit relaxing, you are enjoying what you're doing, use that as a sign that you've reached a state where there's consensus. And this is the language that they used consensus. And there's a like-mindedness because what that's doing is it's showing that people are on the same page. So unless there's something super important, unrelated to humor, that might be a good point just to nail that point, just nail it and get the hell out of there. Because what you've yeah. done is you've left people in a good high state. They're feeling positive emotions towards you. Get the hell out of there. Because unless you're the boss, 
everyone isn't going to laugh at all of your jokes. That's, every, you know, like, that's who gets all of the laughs. People who cook your food and people who pay your wages. Like everyone's always going to laugh at their jokes. Unless Go you're figure. sitting in one of those positions, get your laughs and get the hell out of there. I yeah. don't know if you had any other uh, comments then on that, that second part. I wanted to say that it's not the case, at least the way I read this um, paper, it's not the case that you always need to be having the laughs to move to the next point. I yeah. think that could even get kind of mani- like machine-like if you kept thinking you needed to have a laugh before each move on. But what I liked about the example they used here is they showed how effective it can be as a way to kind of turn. I also liked, by the way, I, I didn't get it. And I'm sure most of the readers wouldn't get this. But what happened was there was an inside joke. And what they did is they they sort of marked that being funny or creating a laughable was okay here by doing what they said. It was a designedly incomplete utterance because what this did is by leaving space for them to say like, I maybe more we, and he left things kind of dangling. He invited, this is what they said. Anyway, he invited the others to co-participate in the actual production of the talk. So rather than you kind of almost, the vision I had is the speaker with elbows out acting like I have to get all my words out. It's more creating a situation where you're moving through it, but you're having some fun with it yourself and you're sort of leaving spaces that other people could lob things in. And in this case, what somebody lobbed in was an inside joke about a wooden mouse. And like what I thought was funny about this act, and I don't know how you responded to the wooden mouse comment, but what happened was they set the context for humorous potential. We don't understand why it's funny that somebody said wooden mouse, but the fact is it got a laugh because the chair kind of invited this one participant in the meeting called Matty. And then by Matty saying the wooden mouse comment, a bunch of people displayed their understanding and acceptance of that. And so they kind of upgraded the laughable, as they called it. And there's something about that that's magical and priceless for me. But again, you and I, Akin, we we can't say anything about how that worked or why that worked. We can just say it did work and it very much helped them segue to the next part of the meeting. Yeah, fantastic. And listeners, uh, if any of you understand or are quite familiar with uh, Swedish or uh, Finnish (laughs) humor... And you get why there might be something hilarious about a wooden mouse. Dan and I do uh, weekly, well, bi-weekly updates where we announce the, that the podcast is up and ready. If you've got any suggestions as to why wooden mice might be funny in workplace setting, I would love to know because the first example that they gave I thought was hilarious. And then all of the ones after that, I was just a bit like, I don't really understand what's going on here, man. Yep. Um, yep. And speaking of not understanding what's going on, the uh, the third point where joint laughter, and you make a great point, Dan, as well, where you kind of like check me on that point about the purpose of these meetings isn't humor. So I, I, it is great that like you kind of restated that, Dan. The purpose is not humor. Uh, but there's something about creating an environment in which humor is allowed, which allows me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the third point was this idea of, so when you are at work, like you're going to be getting some demanding tasks and, you know, it's very much in the nature of, uh, of work for there to be elements of it that are stressful or probably more than what you wish to take on. And these, these, uh, these tasks can be distributed in meetings. And one of the ways where you can, I guess, increase 
or keep morale at least at a decent level or this kind of like collegiality at a decent level is when there is that ability to either laugh or cry. So someone's got too much on their, their plate. Everyone's got too much on their plate. We need to give a bit more to someone and here's this demanding task and someone's going to get it and we're either going to laugh about it or we're going to cry about it. And uh, from what I've witnessed personally, uh, a, a lot of crying takes place in workplaces. Especially silent, <laughs> silent and sullen. Oh think my is also gosh. It's, um, it was, you know what, right? Just on like a very personal note, it, it's, it's definitely one of the things that really shook me up about kind of like um, the working world. Like when you see colleagues cry, like when you see like to see adults cry at work over work, that's like, that's a massive like um, red alarm. I've had times where I felt like I was going to throw up. I've had times where I've literally left my desk and had to like go for a walk for an hour just to kind of like cool off. Um, and, and very often it's in situations where humor is just highly absent. So there yeah. isn't this vent and there isn't this acknowledgement that, okay, this yeah. is kind of getting to the point where it is, where we're asking like a lot of people, but we don't want to take your humanity away from you. We want to yeah. see if you like, if someone can push enough to kind of like get this done. So when you're not able to express yourself emotionally, there is that potential to kind of feel like a, a spent machine. Like yes. you're kind yes. of running on oh, 8%. Like you're yeah. yeah. You're running on 8% and they're like, we need 25% more from you, but you're not able to like vent anything emotionally. So all of that is, is just like compounded stress. And it's, it's a terrible situation and feeling uh, to, to kind of like find yourself exploring there. Um, so yeah, on the third point, Dan, about this idea of the uh, diminished tension and, and stress, was it, were there points that you had there? The only thing I wanted to say is it actually did sound like a pretty fun place to work because like on this one, I actually genuinely like this one because it reduced power in an interesting way. And like the, basically the boss was kind of like saying like, well, listen, I'm going to give you this really tight time schedule because I uh, trust you so much. And sort of like got a little, by leaving that little bit of space, he kind of got a little bit laughing. And then somebody said, somebody said, like, it's not trust. It's more of a threat, really. And, and then somebody else jumped in on top of that and said, like, there was a nice guy up there speaking, but now, and then somebody else jumps in and says, well, now he's normal. And I actually <laughs> thought, even though that isn't funny to explain it, it's really hard to explain it and have it be funny. It actually, reading it genuinely made me think like, that sounds like a pretty good reading. Like if you can kind of mock the boss a little bit and you can kind of like say he was acting nice. Now he's just acting like a, a normal person, like an asshole. Yep. It sounded fun to me. <laughs> it totally did. And one of their observations as well on this point as well, it's about how when, when managers were found to be humorous, this was like a one-to-many situation. So you can kind of like imagine like a, a grimy stand-up club where the manager's on the stage and then the audience are kind of like looking up, kind of like having to laugh really because it's the boss. Yes. But there's this yes. ability for bosses to be very humorous. But because of the dynamic that is presented there, it's very often one person making a joke to many individuals. Whereas when it's the, uh, when it's the team, they often seem to bounce this like hot potato around each other where there's more of a collaborative effort. And it was very, um, it kind of reminded me, I've been doing like a, a lot of like independent kind of like fun research into like geometry and, fra and fractals and, and how you have like patterns that repeat themselves throughout nature. Uh, and it was very interesting how the way that individuals work as colleagues is together. 
So they might be, it might be one task that needs to get done, but you might get a lot of individuals chipping in to get that one thing done. So when it comes to humor, it would make sense that when one of them makes a joke, everyone feels comfortable enough to throw in on that joke as well. Whereas when it comes to managers and leaders, what happens is they're constantly like dictating essentially how the, the work gets done. So it then made sense that of course, when they then exhibit in humor, those same behavioral principles then apply. So if you're yeah. the kind of manager who we talk about, we did an episode on like humble leadership, this idea of managers who kind of like get stuck in and they'll kind of do work at all different levels. If you're that kind of manager, which uh, the manager that Dan showed the example from just now may have elements of that. And that may, might be why the, uh, the, uh, the team feel comfortable Agreed. joking with the manager at that level because there have been examples of that behavior being exhibited in how the work is conducted. And I can, I think we can actually save the listeners and ourselves a little bit of time by skipping that fourth one, because what you just said, which is kind of like an amalgam of the third and the fourth one really resonated for me. I think that, that that's right on by reducing power the leader invites the laughables to be shared, and that's gold. Of course, that's true. And also, by inviting laughter, you're reducing this perceived authoritarianism, which causes more laughables. So those two kind of blend together really nicely. Yeah. And I can imagine there's a lot of leaders out there listening. Well, I, first off, I kind of can't imagine anybody still listening. But if they were still <laughs> listening and they were a leader, I think it's actually really funny to think about how many of them would be like, well, I don't want people laughing at me. I have to control the room. And, and it's just like those people are exactly missing the point of the new workplace. And they're exactly missing now the whole way to the beginning, why the new emotions work are the positive ones, you know, totally. rather than feeling threatened and anxious that you're going to get fired, which leads to you acting like a machine. What leaders of the future, successful leaders of the future are doing is creating excitement, enthusiasm, joy, mirth, and it's just really interesting how many leaders are probably not on to that tip yet, is my guess. So I'm going to stop there, Akin, because I don't want to, I don't want to go farther than we need to. And I, I felt like, like the paper itself, we had to go a lot thinner on the data this time, but I think that we covered the points pretty well. And in that sense, it was a different sort of paper, but I hope that the, I hope that you listeners got something good out of that. Totally. Uh, any, any last takeaways, Dan, from that? That's it, boys. Super. In, 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 inject the, uh, you don't necessarily need to inject the humor, but inject the spirit of it and the platform for it to at least be able to be cultivated and to grow. So listeners, thank you very much for rocking with us once again for another episode of Squeezing the Orange. We're going to be setting up a LinkedIn page so that we can start bringing you all together. So keep a lookout for that on LinkedIn uh, and there'll probably be some invites coming your way as well. But Dan and I will be posting and we'll share some information on that. If you are on iTunes, if you could drop us a shiny five-star review you. That would be fantastic to help this podcast get out there. And maybe you want to share this episode with some of your team members as well. If you are finding yourself regularly in meetings and possibly your, your, your team are having a great time in it, yeah. give them a share of this because it's going to highlight what they have that's so special yeah. about the team. And maybe in a subtle way, if there's ways in which you're trying to revamp the team and how the meetings are conducted, share this with some of the teammates and the listeners, uh, the leaders, should I say as well. And it might just spark some ideas 
ideas of how some different creative processes can be added to the meetings to make them more enjoyable. Uh, whenever you see us tweet about the episodes, hit retweet. That would be lovely. And when we uh, post on LinkedIn about it as well, if you could hit share, that would be fantastic. We would so, love you. We would love them. With all, with all our hearts. With all our hearts. Uh, <laughs> thanks for rocking with us, listeners. Enjoy the rest of your lives. Ciao. Thank you.